Oh, motherfucker. Ah. <laughs> Please. I'm glad that we never edit our podcast. So oh. That in. Yeah, that editing is expensive. Well, Skyler just slammed his funny moon down on the table. I would say it's a yellow card to the table just for <laughs> dangerous play. Um, Wait, if Casemiro hit this table, he's been sent off. Let's be real. <laughs> if ja- if that table were Jaka, if that table were Jaka, my friend, I was pretty Jaka'd by the by the impact. You, um, were, you were very Jaka'd. So I would love uh, to welcome our uh, sizable audience uh, to meet mm. my friend James. James, uh, star of Los Angeles's own Nostalgia FC. Star. Uh, yeah, star. I will say official star. Franchise, franchise player? Yeah, J- wow. James, I call him James, which should uh, let you know how good he was 10 years ago. <laughs> oh, yeah, James. Mm. You were as good as that other James. Um, but, uh, James, would you love to Would you love to introduce yourself? <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me. I'm James. Um, this is... Uh, big day for everyone involved this is my first <laughs> ever appearance on a True. podcast so congrats guys um and yeah i play football with skylar i work in los angeles and i am lifelong dedicated to the interesting world that is arsenal very well done sir that's a polite golf clap in your direction <laughs> how did you how did you, be- <clears throat> how did you become an arsenal fan how did you choose the best team out of all the other shittier teams I didn't choose. I um, I think I've explained this to people before as wow. not too dissimilar from like a cult initiation or mm-hmm. a, a very gentle indoctrination. <laughs> I, I was that baby with Arsenal bedsheets, curtains, rug. Uh, my dad wow. grew up next to the stadium, big Arsenal fan. The game um, shows uh, you. Yeah, as long as I've been a conscious entity, I've been an Arsenal fan. Wow. So your dad grew up not too far from where I am right now in London, Ontario. No, London, England. Um, You can be specific, Jeff. I don't think uh, your neighborhood will. I'm in NWH, St. John's Wood. I'm up kind of near Regent's Park. I mean, if your dad grew up within steps of the stadium, he would have been a little bit east of here, but definitely on the north side and not so far north as to be Tottenham. Thank God. Uh, they had a nice house apparently near the stadium and classic oh, story my dad loves to tell is the whole family like moved and left um when things were normal as they were and then i think he checked the price of the house that they they lived in some years later and it was worth like seven million so a property boom had happened so yeah they i was gonna say yeah i was hoping that your dad was on a yacht right now but he's not is he he's in he's in a normal house it's a very normal house. <laughs> that would have been crazy. I mean, those were very working class neighborhoods. And like to just wake up one day and realize like, oh, should we just sell this home for seven million? It's wild. I, he said it would be like 50p to get in a game, standing sections in the North Bank. Wow. Um, he jumped the fence to get into a game. Yeah, so you can't waste. That's 50p. That's a lot yeah, of money. Lot. Wait, yeah. what did what did Gabriel Martinelli cost when you bought him? <laughs> Is he like six hundred thousand or something? He was pretty cheap, yeah. But he, I mean, he's way more than fifty p. So you could buy like 14, 14 Martinellis for that one house. <laughs> six million, really? Oh, I just looked at it. No, six hundred thousand. So, six million. All right. Wow. So one Martinelli, way more than I thought. Yeah. For inflation, about one Martinelli. 
Isn't it crazy to think that like all of those players have a monetary value and then think like what is my monetary value like on the same scale? Is it it's not zero. I can kick a ball. It's not zero pounds. I don't think I'm inhabitable though. Like I don't even think I'm worth a tent. Like if oh, you had to, if you had to pay in dwellings. I don't think that it's going to end well for the person dwelling in my football dwelling. But but what about you as a player? Let's let's stick with with uh, something tangible. Like like my actual value. Yeah, like that's <laughs> negative. What I think. No, <laughs> no, you're not negative. Clearly, you're positive. You're pretty um, positive. That's what the tests have been saying. Um, but, but like what it's interesting to think about, like, cause there's some players that get discovered and they're plucked out of, I don't know, like Brazil or Uruguay. And it's like 500 K or a million for like some, some punt on someone that ends up being amazing. Uh, like what, it, it, I don't know, maybe a tangent that I'm sensing nobody's wanting to pick up. Uh, no, I'm, I'm liking it. I think that you should, I think that every player should now, instead of being bought in dollars, they should be bought in real estate. And so... <laughs> Like, if you want to sell Mbappe, you have to be like, all right, guys, this is a 50 very nice family home, central London. They're all right next to each other. You can have your own David Koresh cult-like plot in uh, Piccadilly Circus. Oh. Uh, <laughs> By the way. You have to buy it in large chunks of homes. I will not name anybody, but I know someone that was involved in that whole David Koresh Waco thing and when i found out it was by googling wow. this person for other work reasons and i saw like just videos that i don't think i was meant to see where it was like the united states senate and shit and it was like oh wow so and so has been through a lot i will never bring this up to them except i'll bring it up on my podcast <laughs> holy god this is like somebody you worked with or something yeah i won't like... i won't i won't say another detail because i would never want to dox like that's an important thing for someone Jeez. to be able to tell their own story but like I'm sure they're listening now, so it's fine. I there's a, there's zero right now on our live listeners, so they're definitely <laughs> not listening now. In that case, we can be sure they're not listening. So <laughs> spill the beans, my friend. He or she uh, <laughs> definitely does not follow Meet the Sockers. Uh, they have better things to do. But yeah, anyway, like, like James therapy, I imagine. James, if I'm if I'm taking this this topic and I'm reducing it down to our Sunday league, and every player in, in our Sunday league has a value. Uh, obviously myself, let's call me like a hundred bucks. Like mm -hmm. another team would pay a hundred dollars to have someone who can play defense two out of three games pretty well. Sure, um, like a weekend in a hostel. If we're going to go back to the real estate. I mean, is it, is it a whole weekend? <laughs> it depends on the hostel really. Some places. Uh, that, that valuation feels pretty hostile. Uh, <laughs> so James, I would say you're worth like a grand. You're you're like a, you're like a thousand dollar player to a Zog team. That's very, very kind of you. That that isn't how I feel. Um, mm. I I've started to I've started to have the manifestation of previous anxiety dreams. I dream a lot about playing football, and mm. I would have these anxiety dreams where like the ball comes towards me and I I can't reach it or I go for it, but my legs mm. don't quite work. I'm starting to experience that in real life now. I turned 33 <laughs> recently, and my body is not responding at the speeds that my head is asking it to. Um, wow. And it's, it's, it's because it's a very um, humbling. It's not the word. It's a word where you start to become increasingly aware of your own mortality. Mm. 
Soul crushing. Uh, dark. I'm, I'm at the age where you start getting let go. I'm 33. So if you want to let me go, like, it's okay. You are one of our younger players. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just wait until you turn like 38 and then your balls will just hurt because it's a Friday at 1252. <laughs> Got a point. Mm. Um, Where do right, you so play on the pitch, James? Say again? Where do you play on the pitch, James? So my my dream position where I've always wanted to play, I've slowly come to the realization I'm not best at. My favorite, mm. we can get into this if you want, but my favorite footballer of all time might be a slight controversial one for Arsenal fans. Ooh. It's Fabregas. Um, okay, yeah. I I was a similar-ish age as him when he became Arsenal captain at 21. Played the football. I wish I could play. He seemed like a really good guy. Um, I've always wanted to be in that position to play. I think as I... When you say that position, do because he kind of played a couple spots. So, like, do you mean that, like, deep-lying playmaker, you know, sort of, like, pulling the strings from the midfield? Or do you mean that sort of, like... Because at times he was almost a second striker, too, you know? Yeah, I, I see him most in my memory as like a box to box guy. He could do both. He would yeah. he, he would pull the strings from the base of the field, but he was just good enough to run forward and, and become a second striker or make the final pass. So that was always my dream to be that guy. Um, I just simply do not have the discipline to get fit enough to be that guy. And now <laughs> in, in nostalgia, I try to sneakily play up front where I can run as little as possible, but still have an impact. You won't you won't like this comparison, James, at all. But I've always felt you were very like Bruno Fernandezy in that you're doing a lot of the running and you're basically unlocking any goals that we score at all through a pass or a shot. Is this you politically saying I have rodent like features in my in my face? <laughs> well, say it. You'll notice I never insulted his physical aesthetic, <laughs> uh, as I feel like I am both a fan and a good person. Uh, but I will say, I feel like your playing style uh, is similar. Even if I would say your passing rate, might, your passing percentage might be a little bit more accurate even. But uh, I mean, you are playing against people like me. So don't pat yourself on the back too much, James. Jesus Christ. If, if, you, think, if you think that's like me running now, I think I would have blown your mind 10 years ago. Like I get genuinely out of breath from a slight <laughs> jog at the moment. Like it's, it's bad. <laughs> I get genuinely out of breath from a slight pod. <laughs> I'm out of breath right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I did vape right before we started, so maybe that's part of it. Yeah. All right, so so can, you you were you started talking about, like, your Arsenal fandom and how it came about, but, like, what are some of, like, the things that you remember? Like, either matches you got to attend or, like, really huge formative moments in your fandom? Yeah. I, um, I was a junior gunner. Um, where you where in the hybrid days you get access to tickets very very easily very cheap i didn't have a lot of friends that were arsenal fans i grew up in a west ham area um so mostly west ham fans so i would go to the games by myself at the age of like 14 15 for me like my i, I obviously don't go to games too much anymore because i'm in la and it's a struggle when i go back but i was there for most of the final season at hybrid by myself which was like fun but it would have been nice to go with people i just couldn't take my dad because like it's not impossible but it's tricky to get in a 60 year old man under the pretense of being a 15 year old i did try it and it worked once but it's tricky um but i, I was there that your season. dad was there as one of the mascots like holding yeah. fabregas's hand he's like some kind of hands mole man where he's supposed to be like 
12 but he actually looks like 80 or something yeah <laughs> um but that last season was amazing um i remember the like the fabregas game against juventus where it was like Vieira was on the other side i was front row center of the pitch for arsenal real madrid with zidane roberto carlos that was incredible wow Not the best that, game. that's like oh no. six right something like that yeah this was final season at highbury wow. um, it was it was nil nil it wasn't the best game but I don't know, growing up playing Pro Evo and playing as those players was really cool to see. I was there for the last ever game at, um, at Highbury. I think they were wow. my, like, they really solidified me as a lifelong obsession, I think, um, in, in that season. Because other than that, it's like watching at home with my dad. I wouldn't really go to the pub too much, but just like a bonding thing for he and I. Going to the games, and I always remember the smell walking from the turnstile towards the pitch as being mm. like the main signifier it's the smell of grass the atmosphere um the first time i ever went to highbury um that's the thing that stuck with me does yeah. it smell different now like when you come out of the tube if you're going into the emirates does it smell the same to you or no not quite the same i was at the emirates a few weeks ago for the women's game actually um oh cool there's there's just something about highbury it was amazing it was tiny um you were so close to the pitch it was slightly raised so when i, I was in the front in the front row it was actually hard to see the other side of the pitch because hmm. it'd be like raised but it just i don't know it's like a magic to it i think the only other high level stadium that compares to it now is where man you will be this weekend at craven cottage um there is just a, a magic about these tiny places before all the shiny new ones have been built um yeah ivory was was pretty special I mean, I wonder, like, if they knew now, what, or if they knew then what we know now, that the TV money is going to come in and dwarf the ticket mm. sales. You know, some of, you know, Le, Prefis, Le Professor's economics, um, you know, Arsene Wenger's ideas about, like, we have to build the stadium because it's the only way we'll ever be able to keep up with the financial juggernauts. I wonder if that's even true anymore. You know, when you look at, how many bajillion dollars they make on the TV rights and everything else. The gate receipts are not with, they're not as important as they used to be. And I kind of wonder like, would we have been better served? I hate to compare ourselves negatively to a London team, but like the way that Stamford bridge is for Chelsea, where it's this old stadium with character and, you know, theirs was obviously not the art deco marble halls of, Highbury, but it is an old it is an old ground and it's small and it's close and it's all that and even though you know there's so many teams that seem to have made the same mistake where they've gone to other grounds like west ham have gone to the london stadium i don't know i wonder if it's a uh, it's something they'll come to regret because yeah it, it did seem it just just seemed like such a special thing that'll never happen again especially in the middle of london you know potentially i think arsene wenger was guilty of a lot of I think expecting in others what the values he would uphold himself and mm. i think he was was right in the moment that that was the the financial reward system you had to have high gates and it made sense in that moment um arguably maybe as a man i think he had a um a master's in economics he could have foreseen what was coming with the tv deals and emphasized it less i don't think there's much argument to be had that the transition to the new stadium sets back quite sure. significantly um you could even argue it led to his own downfall which is quite ironic because 
many view it as like he built the stadium himself. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting point. James, let me ask you about something different. Let me ask you, have you ever watched any Arsenal fan TV? Um, snippets. I recently learned that my company that I work for that like manages YouTube channels actually works with them in the London office, which is quite disturbing. Oh, no. um, I, hmm. I follow a lot of um, Arsenal media. Like I listen to the Ars blog regularly, Arsenal Vision um, podcasts. I have... For, for a long time, stayed away from Arsenal Fan TV because when I started listening to it when it first blew up, it just seemed absurd. Entertaining initially, sure. but I didn't like how synonymous it became with Arsenal. How when you told someone you were an Arsenal fan, I would travel and tell people I'm an Arsenal fan and they would laugh because of Arsenal Fan TV. So I think I made a conscious effort to distance myself from it. And it seems like it has continued to become a shit show. Um, the lead guy seems interesting. And are probably aware of that and intelligent. It's the is support- it Robbie? Yeah, yeah it's the supporting characters who are just circus freaks, and I just I don't know. It it feels like one flew over the cuckoo's nest, made a sports like reboot. Like that's because you're right. It it's like all these just random people that have gotten more famous, more publicity by virtue of being persistently there. Yeah, and they they blew up in the shit years, right? Like yeah. when it was bad. So. There was a lot of the argument like, oh, you capitalize off failure, which the way the internet works is you capitalize off division and they were in that perfect moment to incite division and be part of that. Um, it'd be interesting to see how they're doing now. I should know that if my company's running their YouTube channel, but I don't. Um, maybe it's different now that we're objectionably better um, and let's see how they're doing. But they were perhaps a, a villain of their time and their circumstance, yeah. but... I don't think you can deny they contributed to Arsenal being seen as like a banter club because they're fucking ridiculous. I mean, but but all the big clubs have some like ugly redheaded stepchild Didn't like they that. They started though, weren't they? The originator that kind of spawned off into other clubs. Like, wasn't Mark Goldbridge kind of? Did he you, come you think he was an Arsenal fan first? No, but like, <laughs> he, that'd be funny. Didn't he come after Arsenal fan TV? I'm sure he did. His his claim is that it's just the largest fan channel uh, in the sports world. I think he's got like 1.8 million YouTube subscribers, something like that. And they just moved. They have a studio now, which just yeah. goes to show you how much money there is and attention there is for football and sport in general. Is that you can be a fan who becomes wealthy from being a fan? <laughs> kind of crazy. Yeah, it is. I, I do see the snippets of him. It's very funny. It started. A- feel like performance art mark goldbridge very clearly aware of what he's doing but yeah it's all like it's all like a fox news but not for politics and not for like uh racist sexist stuff it's just like we know you get angry about this football club so we're gonna keep putting our finger on that open wound until did did you see i saw one recently that really really made me laugh i can't remember the team but brighton played against them i think a french team and their guy their mark goldbridge um when when Brighton scored, he smashed up the TV behind him. Did you see that? No, but that's such a waste like, of a TV. And started tearing it, like going into it. And then I learned after, I think he does that quite regularly and it's like a bit. But in isolation, out of context, is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. He just went to town on this TV, just attacking it with a stick. It is weird how much like that trope specifically you see all the time on the internet. And it's like, you forget, because it's like, it's such a funny thing to look at, but it's like, 
Imagine if you're in a room and someone that you know, like a friend or family member, you're like, oh, we're having like a legitimate mental health crisis here. Like someone's going to sleep in a padded room tonight. This is insane. Great. It, yeah. it is. I don't I don't know. I say this all because like as soon as you have kids, you become a gigantic pussy. And that's what <laughs> has happened to me. And like when I when I look around, I'm just like, oh, but that's like. That's another form of abuse that we've just made normal. Like, I guess that'll just exist in their world. Like, they're going to have a boyfriend who does that. <laughs> like, okay. It's I'm interested terrible. to see the first football fan influencers that start to make their kid like an integral part of it. Like, the, the job I have is overseeing YouTube channels, and, and you have these YouTubers who, at this point, I'm, I'm pretty certain have kids for views. Like, we had one that had a kid recently had the channel prepped in advance for when it was born. It started to like build concepts <laughs> around the kid. It's absolutely insane. I'm that interested to see if that happens in the, like, has Mark Goldbridge got a kid? You know, does he say? He him? does. He does. And he's older than you'd think. Somebody <laughs> looked at his page and was like, I should definitely let him finish inside. That would be a good thing. <laughs> wow. I mean, who, who knows? Maybe his child was born and will become like, a prodigy like a fan prodigy like think of all the like Messi's kid they people want that dna people want that that on the field you can blame him goldbridge <laughs> dna it's worth something soon his first words were give me that tv that's kind of old and i'm going to punch it a lot <laughs> that way that wasn't goldbridge though no i'm gonna send this to you after because i think it's marseille it's, it's so funny so he's screaming in french the whole time yeah, and then he just mm -hmm. like, it takes like thirty seconds for him to destroy the TV. It, it goes on; it's brilliant. It's probably it's just like an a, ad. For, it's an ad for the TV. Like we we could handle thirty seconds of beating before we broke. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of amazing, actually. Samsung, the toughest TVs. <laughs> <laughs> TVs uh, for the most angry and abusive of all of you. That's um, pretty great, Jeff. I have I have a question for you. Something I've oh. been like thinking about a lot this season. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm I'm at a point where I can rationalize it a bit. Are you enjoying watching Arsenal this year? Enjoying is a weird word. I mean, overall, yes. Like I I would rather watch football games than do almost anything that I I am supposed to do. But I will say, like I'm not enjoying them nearly as much as I was last season because last season it felt like there was no weight of expectations. It was just like we started playing great, and it was like, whoa, what's this? Whereas this season, if anything, we're probably a little less great than we were playing last season, I think, especially offensively. And unfortunately, it's like, you know, we're not quite doing as well, And but there's, there's much more. There's a much heavier burden of expectation. So for me, it's a little... It's a little diminished. I don't know. What about you? I think I feel similarly. Um, there, there was a perfectly timed video. I don't know if either of you read The Athletic or subscribe to them. It's really good journalism. Um, a video came out this week by a guy um, called John McKenzie, and he presents videos. And the title was, Are Arsenal Worse This Year? Because I think a lot of people are feeling the same. Like They're not particularly fun to watch compared to last year for a couple yeah. of reasons. But he did a tactical breakdown with data that I feel like answered it really well. And I think you alluded to it. They are much, much less effective going forward. Our XG is significantly lower. But at the same right. time, we're much, much better defensively, like significantly better in our, our XG against. 
Um, and then they they dove into it of why is this? And I actually, I, neither of you will perhaps believe this, but I did call the specific reason for this to another football team I was on um, before the season started. It was when the Declan Rice um, transfer was was done. It was it was it was happening. I remember saying to a guy who I didn't particularly like, to be honest. Mm. Um, I think Declan Rice is amazing. I think he'll add a lot to us. My main and kind of only concern is: can he do the very specific action of Thomas Partey receiving the ball, turning, then progressing it centrally, often with yeah. a disguised pass to Odegaard? which is the origin of so many of our like, attacks and I think so much of why we were fun to watch last year. And so one thing I've never seen Declan Rice do, I've seen him try it a few times this season, but in general, and they break down in this video, he receives the ball and he goes to the left and then mm. and recycles it wide. So so there's like 5 or 6% fewer attacks attempted through the middle and instead much more to Saka and a few more to Martinelli. So... Rice has made us much, much stronger. He's gone to the league. wing, yeah. But we aren't replacing what Partey can do. Um, Partey needs to be replaced as a as a human at our club for a lot of reasons. But we have <laughs> yes. not yet re- we have not yet replaced the superpower he has of getting the ball from a goalkeeper, turning it, and playing it forward. And I think that's probably why we're just not hugely fun to watch this year at the moment. Because him to Odegaard was everything. Sure. Odegaard's not getting the ball this year. Can I can I suggest uh, not a, not a contradictory uh, reason, but like a like an additional supporting reason? It's it's that, and then it's every team that played a shit ton of matches last year around a World Cup and a reduced uh, summer time off. I feel like there's even City is struggling. Like everyone's legs look a just ten percent slower, more yeah. tired. Look at the number of injuries. The injury rate is like, are players going to start dying? Uh, like, like I'm wondering if it's if it's a compound a compounding factor of you know Xhaka has left your team, uh, trying to replace Partey with uh, Rice, which by, I'm confused because I kind of thought Rice was like the perfect fully formed midfielder, and that was like it wasn't he wasn't just some like I'm going to stay back here and be Conte. And like just be a vacuum. I thought he was he had both both angles uh, of the game, uh, offensive and defensive, in spades. I think he probably does, but what Partey does is so specific and so unique. Like, and and the way we're set up is we have to progress it vertically to to Odegaard quickly. That specific action Rice doesn't have yet, and I think they were banking on him being able to learn that quickly because he's demonstrated like he can improve very quickly. But I think you're right. Like, Shaka is a bigger loss than most people anticipated. Havertz is getting close to being definitively. It's still early, but like, I think far, far too much stock was put in his height and him being a centre forward option when we should have just replaced Shaka outright. Um, but I think they were trying to be too clever. They tried to have him fill multiple positions and it just yeah. isn't working. Um, and I don't know if it's going to work, which is a shame. He's your Mason Mount, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, starting to feel that way. My little Mason Mount. Um, <laughs> all right. So, do you want you guys want to talk about what had happened? We've got well, which one do you want to do first? The this match was first, right? Well, this you know, is I the most recent. Yeah. See, I what had happened was Sheffield was last weekend, right? You played Sheffield United last weekend. 
Oh, right. Sorry, you just flipped that, didn't you? I did, I but I, cor- I corrected. If you're listening and you're wondering what the fuck we're not talking about, uh, it was just wanting to get the running <laughs> order correct. Uh, but Arsenal versus Mr. Sheffield is the is the title of this segment. So uh, what happened? Did you beat them? Did you lose to them? A third option? I feel like the like the, the, the narrative that I remember the most coming out of that game is after a Sevilla game where Gabriel Jesus proved why no one else can do it quite like him, where he, you know, he just had this amazing turn that put Martinelli through on goal. And that was our first score. And then he had this other sort of game of chicken. He played in the penalty box that resulted in him curling it in the top corner. And you just realize like, wow, this guy is, he's really good. Like he is, he is a definitively world-class maybe depending on if how he plays his cards all timer. But then he got hurt immediately and you were like, well, maybe this is the other reason why he's not going to be an all timer. or Maybe even not going to be world-class forever. Um, and then you stick in Ketia in the lineup and you think, okay, we have to figure something out now. And he was just as good as he could be. I mean, he had a really nice little turn in the box to score. He scored from something like 35 yards out. That was pretty amazing to watch. You know, he had this incredible hat trick. It was, it's great to see because I think a lot of our team is going to come down to how the players like him. You know, that sort of second line, like the Smith Rose and the Enketias and the Reese Nelsons. Like if we can get great minutes out of them in the champions league and in the other cup competitions, that's going to be huge. Um, Maybe that is helped by the fact that we lost to West Ham. I don't know. You just spoiled it for the people who didn't mm. watch but are anxiously waiting. Yeah. Wait, did people, you? The people who did, rely on this podcast to get their results. Spoilers out. It's like people who read the back of a milk carton for the news. Uh, <laughs> we are that for for football and podcasts. Did you say what the final score was for the match? Sheffield United. It was five nil. Man, James, just back to your early points. It's got to be so hard for you this year, just struggling to score goals. Your XG is down. <laughs> uh, it wasn't good to watch, though. I'll stand by that. I text my dad at half time, saying, it's not fun. Like, I'm not enjoying it. Like, Sheffield United have one point the whole season. They're bottom of the league. Until the second half, and I, I pulled it up, we, we got the second goal at 50 minutes. After that, they they gave up. The game was over and it became really nice and it was the perfect game for Nketiah, but first half was was not fun to watch. Hmm. Well, save some of that energy from when we talk about Manchester United in 20 or 30 minutes because I'm sure you'll be full of empathy. <laughs> uh, but all right, so but like so you had a terrible five nothing win. Uh, <laughs> yeah, moving on. So so then midweek, uh, Carabao Cupity Cup 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 Cup. Uh, how did that go against West Ham United? I didn't watch it, so you might need to give this. I, I saw mm. snippets, but I had to work, so you might need to. Give it I I I watched most of it. I ended up having to stream it, but it it was a weird game. I mean, if I'm honest, I think it was an away game in London. Always treacherous. And I think that they were insanely lucky in the sense that, I mean, it was a little after halftime. They were winning 2-0. They had one shot. You know, it was just that kind of game where we were sli- we were slipping on banana peels. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier of, like, 
you know, tightening up the defense at the expense of the offense, that game is sort of crystallizing that for me because we we are getting better defensively most of the time. We've limited their chances. But so many of the Arsenal goals, I mean, you look back at the last, say, 50 goals against for us, they all involve us slipping on banana peels or, you know what I mean, accidentally pooping our pants and slipping on that. Or, you know, it's like it's always this hijinks where those goals come from. So, you know, the fact that they scored first off an own goal, I think that's the that's the biggest thing that we could do is we could have our young defenders get a little bit less young. Yeah, it, it felt like one of those quite classic Arsenal games where I did see the first 30, like they were passing well, they were moving, they looked quite good, I thought, um, and we're in control. And then the other team scores with nothing. And then yeah. and it's like, there's been so many of these games over the year, and I think they've become a bit less common, but it felt like a bit of a throwback to one of those games where we dominate, other team has a, one or two chances, scores them both, we get nothing. And yeah. then in, after the game, it looks shit. But I actually, from what I saw in the first half, they looked pretty good until that first yeah. ball went in. I think there's a lot of truth in that. It's just when it's not your night, it's not your night, and it wasn't yeah. their night. I do also, I if we're being fair, for once, Arteta rotated. You know, he, yeah. he doesn't like to rotate the squad very much, but there were, I think, five changes or something like that. So, I don't know. Maybe our B team lost an away game to a Premier League side in a cup game that isn't worth much. So, maybe we shouldn't make too much of it. But and yeah. I I don't think there's many Arsenal fans who really are desperate to win the cup. I think Arteta is probably more desperate than most. Like, his mentor, Pep, would win it every year, and that is an important thing. But I think... A silver lining is we generally do seem to bounce back really well after losing, like after the Lons game. So we had a t really tough game at the weekend, and yeah. Arteta will have torn into them and should expect a response. Um, I'm not too sad about getting knocked out, especially because we would have been away at Liverpool and then three <laughs> days later been away at Liverpool again. No one needs that. That's tough. Yeah. I, I think it says a lot about the, the state of your team that I would love to take this opportunity to, to rub <clears> any <throat> loss in, in your faces and can't really. No, it's like because it's like, first of all, we, we will be talking about my own team's uh, loss at the same time slot on the same, in the same cup in just a few minutes. But like your t it, it does feel more like a blip, even from a from a a rival fan like it, it doesn't feel like oh this is the beginning of arsenal starting to wobble if anything you're, it's there's a lot of integral parts of your team that are have been added this year and sometimes it takes a season for that to get comfortable especially when they're like the spine of the team you've got the goalkeeper changed you had the central defensive midfielder changed the other central midfielder changed um I, I wouldn't. I I would agree with you. You you both. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be that worried. It's you know. I don't know why I'm fucking consoling you. This is not not the way this is supposed <laughs> so to go. Nice. I think Arsenal. I'm pretty immersed in like online Arsenal and follow Twitter accounts. I'm not especially immersed in any other team. Um, I don't know if this is common for every team, but historically, the 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 discourse when Arsenal lose is quite insane online the catastrophizing <laughs> is 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 crazy and i think it 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 further backs your point skylar and shows where we are that 
it's it's less crazy at the moment when we lose people are accepting people are recognizing we have a good team there's some things to figure out but like we're on we're on the upward trajectory or at least like going forward about plummeting so i don't think in general aside from the just brain dead lunatics people mind too much about getting knocked out it seems like the mentality has changed there like even when arsenal is having an off game you can still win uh like and look no further than when jeff and i were at uh the emirates uh, a few months ago nice and and my dear manchester united who didn't play good didn't play well uh but arsenal was able to on a bad day for arsenal come away with a pretty comfortable scoreline and i feel like that's 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 a reflection on a very different club from like even a few seasons ago so i mean congratulations to you two uh cucks for <laughs> for how great your fortunes have turned around thank you um and let's discuss how mine have been consistently pretty fucking terrible <laughs> so last weekend uh manchester derby maybe the manchester derby i have been the least uh excited to watch uh ever <laughs> and and it's funny because we lost to them a few months prior at the in the fa cup final and it felt like there you know there's a gap between these two clubs and then with you know de bruyne getting injured right away and and me thinking that you know this season was going to start and and build on last season I, this would have been a great chance to prove that. Instead, we lost three nothing to City. Uh, Holland got, I would say, a soft uh, penalty kick from I think it was a push from Rasmus Hoyland in the box, but it was like the type of pushing that happens seventy times a match in every match, uh, and hmm. it gets called one time out of every however many. But uh, but that happened, and once that. Once Holland scored that penalty, it felt like the team did the thing that they do where they just, their heads go down and they're just like, oh, this is so shitty. Like, I hate it when this happens to us. This always happens to us. Like, you can see, you can see like a bad mentality really brewing, which last year that wasn't, that wasn't what we witnessed. We saw like a lot of like players playing above maybe what they were capable of. And, and we had a, a pretty great finish to the, not a great finish. We had a pretty great overall season last year. This season has been a fucking travesty. It has been <laughs> real bad. So I don't know. I'm sure you guys didn't get to see either of these two matches, but I don't want to just talk for 20 straight minutes about it. So like James, <laughs> just in general, like what have you seen of my poor club? Uh, what is your what is your YouTube uh, thought leader vibe uh, check on Manchester United right now? I gotta be honest very funny to be on hmm. this side of things i i view manu as like the team i dislike the most after tottenham um because i grew up in the arsenal arsenal manu like era you know the yeah, Keown and part of that right? rivalry yeah. yeah um and it, and the games are intense like it must the 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 game you guys went to i watched that in the bar in la and it's it's i think the best bar experience i've ever had watching arsenal when the rice goal went in and i bet the stadium was amazing so it is enjoyable for me to see but i maybe i'm like maybe i'm again i'm obsessing with arsenal drawing parallels but i do see parallels with ten Hag. like arteta's first season was good and 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 he won the fa cup ten Hag's first season you just said was good i think most people thought finally we might have someone who's going to put us on the path 
um, Arteta's second season fell apart and people wanted yeah. him gone. And there was a run of something like eight or nine games where um, shit, we were losing games. And it suddenly turned on one and they had to hit rock bottom to do that. I don't know that that's going to happen here. I'm, I think I'd be surprised if that's going to happen here. Um, this, everyone's talking at the moment, talking about the lack of a style, um, how like they thought it would bring this Ajax style of play. And then Ten Hag's like, no, like I've never said I'd play like Ajax. And I don't know. I mean, it's it's easy to take the, the Gary Neville train and start ranting about the ownership. He has a point. He should just shut up about it because it's annoying, but he does have a point. Like so much of it stems from that, the lack of clear decision making. I think you could argue the installation of Edu is just as important as Arteta. Man, you don't have that. They don't have someone making clear, smart, short, medium, long term decisions. And without that, it's never going to work. So maybe this Ratcliffe guy who wants to run the football operations is smart and has that in mind. Um, I think I said this to you the other day, Skylar. I don't think Man, you have hit rock bottom yet. Um, which I say with a mind. It hurt. It hurt when you said that. Because <laughs> it just I they're not gonna suddenly turn things around. They were so dependent on Rashford last year, who was playing like a Ballon d'Or winner, um, and just doesn't seem into it this season. I don't know how things turn around. Maybe they, they get rid of Ten Hag, but they need a, a smart director of football. Maybe they should just bribe by buy Brighton's. I don't know. <laughs> well, Paul Mitchell apparently is back living in Manchester, and he he built a lot of uh, pretty successful teams, not only in England but uh, around Every Europe. Good hair care brand, Paul Mitchell hair care. You know, Vidal Sassoon was unwilling to take over Manchester United due to how big the project was. Uh, yeah. A lot of those French managers can't hang it. We just we're just not very good with product, uh, end product or hair product. But um, <laughs> what I will say is it. Yeah. It, it perfectly encapsulates what's going on when the numbers are thrown out that when when City were bought by um, a, a nation state, from that date until now, I think it's like eerily similar that City and Man U have spent about the exact same amount. Yeah. And the two teams face each other and Harry Maguire and Johnny Evans are at the back. Like that, that, that sentence in itself just speaks a thousand words and it's the lack of smart thinking as a club if you had said if you had predicted that in the summer i would have thought you were fucking with me as a rival fan but that's the actual real world we live in where twitter is called x and uh you know the north pole is getting hot it's everything everything is out of whack we need to fix global warming and manchester united's uh trajectory these two issues (laughs) Jerry Jerry Maguire's mom does not think that climate change is real, for the record. She does not believe that is true, and she thinks you should take that back. She thinks you're an absolute disgrace. She sees Queen and Country. She sees the videos of like the the what should we call not ice caps, like the the floating (laughs) glaciers, and she's like, Oh, there's my Harry. (laughs) Like (laughs) look at that floating slab. Love me slabs, love me glazers. Simple as. I knew she was going to do that when he when she posted the statement. Like, do you think she said to him, like, Harry, I got to step in here, and he was like, go for it. I just, I would love to know the dynamic there. Harry's like, Mom, I have nothing to prove. I'm a big (laughs) captain, boy, man. But if you if you wanted to step in here, I'm I'm a bit frazzled. 
<laughs> it's just so embarrassing. It's like that happened to me at school. My mom wrote in when. Like, oh, I thought Harry Maguire's mom stepped in and bailed you out. <laughs> she school. co-signed it. Honestly, no, like, but like, it's literally what happened to me when I was twelve. Like, my mom wrote in, and and they're doing it for like. The... What did she, what did she, your mom write in about? I was getting bullied, and and she sort of. I think she went in actually, and like had a go at them, and it stopped. Um, so maybe maybe the evidence to be is fair, there. It sounds worked. like your mom did the right thing, and Harry yeah. McGuire's mom did. I not. should see if she can. Um, she doesn't have much of a Twitter following, but if she puts out a statement about Harry Maguire. It might be able to to right some of the wrongs that his mom put out. Yeah. You think That'd if your cool. mom just handled all the PR for these <laughs> players, they'd be yeah. they'd be better off. Moms against Harry Maguire. Maybe you could get him out of the England team. Well, speaking about against Harry Maguire... Uh, How was he against Newcastle? I mean, we conceded three goals in uh, in not that much time. Uh, I turned it off at 2 nothing because I felt like, you know what, I can feel my heart uh, getting angry and trying to claw its way out of my chest. So maybe I'll just stop watching this thing that's angering me. <laughs> It's 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 more it's more that like when I when I watch against a team that is either what I would say at our level or you know roughly competitive, and I see that team just working harder, it pisses me off so much because hard work should be something that's table stakes for every Premier League player, right? Like you're you're one of a select however many like two hundred players that get to do this for a shit ton of money in front of millions of eyes. I, and I've said a lot of nice things about him on this podcast, but Marcus Rashford signs a contract for three hundred and fifty grand a week, and his and I think that I am at present a better player than him. So like that, like where is where is the drive gone? Where where is this almost Ballon d'Or winning form that uh, James you called out that was plain to see last year? It feels like he's just over it because his boy Sancho is gone. Like I mean, speculating right because we haven't heard him say that, but like. It that's the feeling as a fan who watches and reads all this shit. It feels like it's like you know sent my friend to detention, so I don't want to take your class anymore. It's kind of, but you're being paid a fortune every week to take soccer class. <laughs> who are you betting on staying at the club longer, Sancho or Ten Hag? Ten Hag, I think Sancho will be gone by Christmas. You think did so? You see Sancho do you like, think you think like Ten Hag could be gone by Christmas? What did he what? Sancho liked a tweet that was like that I saw. Um, someone commented on Sanchez's video and said, just stick it out, lad. Ten Hag will be gone in like a couple months. And he liked it. So funny. But I gotta I mean, say, wrong. But, but he's been fucking shit. He's played well two times out of 60 <laughs> or 70. He's such a weird one for me because I was so jealous when you got him. I really yeah. thought, oh, man. Like if we could get a guy like that in in Arsenal, like when he was coming coming from Dortmund, the form that he was in, the way that those Dortmund wingers go down, like bomb down the wing. Mm. Didn't he play right wing for Dortmund, and now doesn't he only want to play left wing for Man U? Correct, which also happens to be the position his BFF plays. Yeah. But <laughs> isn't that a conversation you have when you're in the recruitment process for a seventy-three million pound player? You would like, think. I don't know I, I, that they're having conversations. <laughs> I think it's just Ten Hag says he he wants this player, and then the Three Stooges go out with a Brinks truck of money, and then come back with much less of it. You, you, you know what you were saying about Rashford. 
I, I think it's like an American phrase where they, they call it the contract year, right? Isn't that a thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sports. You play off um, your, you play out of your mind to try and get I, that paper. I think it should be more commonly discussed in football because I, I think that's exactly what's happening with Rashford. It happened with Aubameyang. Um, like, I think when humans are getting paid the millions they get, it just probably stops becoming a motivating factor. And things like mm. the contract or other smaller things will dominate what actually motivates you. And take that take that need for to prove yourself away, which is essentially what it does. And Rashford stopped trying, I think. Well, do you no- think it's a matter of just sheer effort, or do you think I don't know? Is it deeper than that? Like maybe I don't know. I mean, if 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 my job, you know, people from work could be listening right now, paid me a million dollars a year, I think that would just reduce the number of years that I would work. Yeah, it it wouldn't keep me motivated for the full amount of time. I I, I I'm not saying what he's doing is right. I'm just looking at myself and trying to be fair here. Like if I let's say he's already banked in his career from salary and endorsements, forty five mil, forty million pounds maybe total. That, that and he's a, a he's lot. about to make that in the next two years. But <laughs> yeah. more than that, in in that season. Um, he will have had his his agents and his team constantly saying, "Look, just keep going because PSG are interested. If you can do this, everything he was doing was he had that extreme motivation in him that like the next contract is the biggest in my career. I could get it at multiple clubs. I'm getting promised this. I'm getting promised that. That's a really really motivating thing. And I think the margins are so fine at the elite level that that motivation makes a significant difference. That motivation doesn't exist anymore." And he's still yeah. an amazing player. He's still running. He's trying hard, potentially. But take that motivation away, and it's not making the difference in the like fraction of a percent it did last year. And 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 there's like decision making things. That, like or like last year, he would when he would choose to do like a Rashfordy dribble where he's gonna try and beat you know four players with the ball. Like one out of three times last year, it would work. It would pan out and it would end up in a goal and this year it's like every time he tries to dribble his head goes down and then the ball hits somebody else's shins and then the play's over and i've been listening to like a lot of podcasts that have like been trying to figure out like yes we get united or shit but like specifically why are they shit like what is the thing that's that's breaking down and and it seems like we're winning the ball we're winning the ball high up the pitch the most of any club in the Premier League, and then turning it into goals the least. It's like, it's like we're 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 winning the ball back, and then we're going now what? And then there's just no answer, and there's just silence, and, and so everybody tries to do individualistic stuff, which means you better, you know, you better nutmeg someone, or you better dribble through them, or else there is no system allowing people to be open for you to pass to. There, there's no easy pass. It's now like trying some shit that probably won't work that like really good defenses are going to be able to read and intercept and then before you know it they have a man advantage and onana uh tries to save the ball with a giant glove that has holes in it <laughs> um, although he's he's been kind of less on my shit list late, lately after he saved that last minute penalty kick against uh whoever the fuck it was the other day copenhagen. was it sheffield who was it copenhagen I think. copenhagen right 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 yeah. Uh, that was the one that uh, Garnacho liked so much, right? <laughs> Scuffing up the um, the penalty spot, wasn't we it? We can oh, talk. Yeah. No, the response. Oh, God. Well, Here both. we go. Yeah. 
Garnacha. All right, we're going to do it. Jeff brought it up. All right, Garnacha. Okay, so Alejandro Garnacho. Garnacho uh, noted li- racist. He's not a noted <laughs> racist, but he is a little Justin Biebery Uniqlo mannequin of a player. A really weird facial structure. There's something strange going on there. He does, but I'm not here to shit on him like you guys are. Uh, he's also a brilliant talent who's still a teenager. Uh, and he never had a first team loan. So he really is just like learning on the job, which is kind of, you know, I think would be crazy to just as an 18 year old be like, okay, so you play 30 minutes a match for United now. Uh, I'd probably fuck that up a lot. But in this case, he's like, like everyone else, not really having the season, but he looks dangerous and he looks like there's something could happen when he's playing. Onana saves that penalty kick and this 19 year old who clearly does not have a social media team running his accounts uh instagrams a picture of like everybody jumping onto onana like congratulating him for saving like a last second penalty kick which was also very well taken it wasn't like it was shot at him it was like a full extension 10 athletes in the world can make this save kind of save and garnacho uses two gorilla emojis to hype up his teammate and friend in his instagram post but the rest of the world sees what a gorilla emoji is normally used, and it's by racist to be racist, uh, to imply that a black player is an animal, uh, in any, even if it's like to say, because you're so strong, like a gorilla, it's still like very reductive. And I know this, you guys know this, I mean, you're Arsenal fans, so you definitely immediately learned it if you didn't know it. The second Garnacho did something wrong, you, everyone became a Rhodes Scholar on racial equity. <laughs> um, but... But it's like clearly was the wrong thing to say and was clearly inappropriate because of the context it has that I honestly don't think this idiot kid was aware of. What I'm if not he was ex- actually trying to tell the world that he was racist with this. Like, what if they were like, wait, do you? And he's like, no, what I meant was nice save and all, but fuck you. I hate your kind. Like, I, what if that's what he, that would be that, pretty fucked Then up. you would have seen that post probably if that was what he wanted to do. Like because there's no one. Comments, someone would have screenshotted it for sure. There's no one stopping his post from going up, Jeff. So clearly that was not part of his game plan. You would think like every other football player has a 19 year old nephew. They have like their own Jackson Mahomes who's like doing their social media. Like, I guess maybe that would actually, there's probably a Garnacho that's even more annoying than the Garnacho that we know. And he's the one who did it. Think about how much money is involved, not only in the playing of the game, but all of these players as assets are worth so much money unless X, Y, and Z happen. And they become unusable. They become Mason Greenwood was at one point, you want to buy him, let's talk 100 million plus. He's England's future at striker. Head of Saka. Do horrible, horrible things. Prove you're a piece of shit and your value plummets. So like if I'm... Any, let's not even say Premier League club, if I'm any professional top tier club, like like from MLS to France to anywhere, how does each team not have professional minders just following all of these players around being like, don't fucking do that. Actually, also don't do that. Don't touch that girl. Leave her alone. Don't do that. Like, I feel like... like that... I deleted all the racist emojis from your phone. You're welcome. <laughs> it's like having a lawyer on the phone call when you're when you're having, like, a business call. It's like they're there to prevent this 2% chance <laughs> of something going nuclear. How do they not have minder? Like, maybe they do, but My I haven't heard about this. My client has decided not to compare this particular athlete to any animal of any sort. <laughs> we love animals and we love athletes, but... <laughs> 
So, like, do, but do you guys have opinions on that? Or, James, do you know, like, have you ever heard of, like, professional clubs having, like, keep your nose clean, like, bouncer types who just, like, pre- prevent the players from getting into shit? Because, like, I feel like mafias that deal with less money than what Premier League clubs deal with have that as a role in their gangs. Media teams definitely exist. Um and I think it's where it's what makes the players who like clearly ignore that quite interesting. Um, especially like as much as I deeply despise him now, um, I find James Madison really interesting before he moved to Tottenham. He would break down the game in a really interesting way. Um, Haaland seems like one of those people who's willing to show some personality um, and not just be a kind of robot. I think like generally these things are there. It's just a player in the dressing room. If you ever see a behind the scenes at a club, like all of them keep their phones in the dressing room. So they go back after the game or half time, maybe even a half time, look at their phone, laugh and just do something. There isn't yet a mechanism in place to stop that so you get like still the pure unfiltered views or, or or expression of a person then maybe there should be maybe someone creates it's actually a good idea creates an app where every single thing that someone does quickly routes to a team who gets approval on it so you can hmm. still do it. That, that'd be quite interesting but i think if i were a professional footballer and probably not gonna happen now but you know um <laughs> I just would not be online. Like I think being online is is about building a brand, which you eventually convert into money. If you're professional football, you don't need that. Maybe they need the attention, but the risk involved in inserting yourself into something, even just an innocuous comment, can be spun a different way out of context months later. It amazes me that you have players like Havertz who who has an online pro- presence and has to read the shit that everyone posts about him. Like it just isn't worth it, and it's amazing to me that most players are willing to that's the yeah that's the norm dance that tightrope um when a stupid thing from Garnacho didn't mean it but it's silly it's become a huge thing is it worth even being on twitter you know how is there not like like a class that they all have to take in the off season that's like they do, these are th- they do. yeah the, the media training is absolutely a thing i've heard players talk about it they have people sit down and go through and it, it will be like a textbook in a class but um, in the moment, like th- th- so, this is probably happening in the changing room, right? While everyone's dancing, screaming, the emotion, things like that go out the window. He's just on his phone. He hits two two buttons, puts it back, um, and then and then it blows up. I know how that feels. I I go a little crazy with the uh, emojis in our WhatsApp group after after hmm. a big nostalgia FC win. I feel like, but I've avoided uh, r- racial controversy pretty easily. <laughs> <laughs> Emojis are dangerous that way, though, where it's like, like, have you ever, this happens to my wife all the time, where she'll think that an a, a emoji facial expression means one thing, and then, like, she was like, oh, yeah, like, hit that, like, she was trying to, we were trying to send, like, a group text, and I was like, no, that's, like, the, like, I'm smiling, but I'm nervous and sweaty emotion, she's like, no, that's, like, I'm laughing till I cry emotion, and it's like, we're arguing over like whatever it is, like 32 pixels or something. It's not much. <laughs> like, there's not a whole lot going on there, but there's definitely probably been a few lives ruined just by someone being like, Oh yeah. Like, like, I'll, I'll, Oh, your, your dad died. I'll send you this emoji of a crying man. And then it turns out it's like the, ha, 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 
not like turns out it's an orgasm orgasm face (laughs) yeah isn't isn't what's happening right now with el ghazi quite interesting um the mains player who posted some pro-palestinian support got suspended then um they said right he's back and then yesterday he posted even stronger support now his contract's gone and he's posted now saying the price of giving up my livelihood is nothing for the price of like standing up for what's happening wow like and and that's an interesting one because he's using his platform for something he believes in and it's very intentional yeah but it's i don't know the 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 things you do online whether they're intentional or not can just eradicate your career in 24 hours it's it's wild i on the other hand though that you play the devil's advocate that is your career because ultimately they're all just media personalities and there's a lot of guys who are pretty good at dribbling or pretty good at passing or pretty good at shooting. And the amount of money that you can make by just elevating yourself to that household name status or, you know, that shoe contract status is just so much more than the money you actually make within, you know, the touch lines. I don't yeah, know. It's a good point. All right, so we I think we've got time for one more topic. Be gentle, uh, but I wanted to ask who you guys thought would be the first first sacked manager of the Premier League season. Uh, you have a lot of options, uh, one of which, sure, is my manager, but I feel like uh, that's not going to be my answer. So what are what are our thoughts on who we think is, is going to fire their manager aiming for a new manager bounce? Man, I hate I hate to be knee jerk about it, but because yeah, it does sound like I'm just trying to get under your skin, but I I do kind of think Ten Hag would be the best bet right now because he he's not the worst manager in the league, but he is the manager that people are the most pissed at, and that's how you get fired. But is that not just a reflection of how many uh, United fans there are? So you hear a lot of that anger because there's a lot of voices in it. I mean, sure. We're getting but, articles. We're getting articles that are like United players' socks too tight. Like, I've yeah. I've 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 read four of those. It's just there's just a certain number of people, like the Daily Mail and a few other places, where they're just like, so what shit are we gonna say about United today? Because it's it you hear this, it gets clicks. Clicks equal money. Money equals the only reason anybody does anything, apparently. True. Um, but in it. Jeff, I do think you're just saying that to get under my skin. Uh, happy birthday to me. I'm not. Thank you, thank you Jeff. Um, by the way, uh, thank you. Uh, Jeff got me. Uh, a, got me. He ordered uh, a nice little video from his whole London-based improv group. And honestly, I squealed like a little child because I was oh. like, I was like, oh, I've seen them perform. They're hilarious. And really got off on it too much. Um, but thank you, Jeff, for that. So, James, okay. back. Uh, not, let's stop talking about getting off and instead talk about who is getting off of their contract. Uh, who yeah. Are you, are you going to say Eric Ten Hag as well? Is that your... I, I had this discussion with a friend preseason and earlier in this podcast, I called out, I think something like really smart. I, I predicted the, the rice and party things. I want to call out something really dumb because I made an outrageous claim at the start of the season. I thought Jurgen Klopp would be the first to go. I thought Ooh. Liverpool had slipped last year, but his standing in the club had, I think most managers would have been fired last year. I thought because of their midfield overhaul, 
they would have the year that Man United are having, and I thought it would be gone by Christmas. It's the stupidest prediction of all time because they're like third now. So that was my initial <laughs> prediction at the start of the season. Right now, it's really hard to see anyone but the Sheffield United or Bournemouth managers. Um, is it Hecking Bottom and the Bournemouth guy? They're the ones who are like seem like they're almost done. I think Ten Hag will be gone by February unless there's like real improvement. But not um, first. You guys want to hear the, the top 10 odds for next manager out? Yes. Um, as do according it. to the independent betting. Wait, do um, I get do I get to say mine first before you say the yes. odds? I think Vincent Company has no. really underwhelmed. He was so good in the championship and his time. Expectations were so high. But they're gonna go right back down. So it's like do you maybe <laughs> yeah, he'll need... be great again next year. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Jeff. Paul Heckingbottom, two to five odds. Those are the best slash worst odds um, of being fired. Adoni Iraola, eight to one. Is that Fulham? Bournemouth. Oh, Bournemouth. Then you have Vincent Company in third, ten to one, and then Eric Ten Hag, twelve to one, is the fourth. We're in fourth. Rico... We're in fourth. That's right. We're in fourth Champions League next year. You know, this is a funny one to think about. Uh, but Pochettino is right up there with Ten Hag in terms of just people who are underwhelming. Um, and Chelsea are a team that do not settle for a bad manager for very long. They will have 10 bad managers for six months each. Thank they're, you. they're a little bit better after a lot of spending. I just haven't heard anybody say anything nice about uh, Pochettino this year. Is it, by the way, James, Pochettino, Pochettino, we've been saying it both ways for two years. Pochettino. Pochettino, Yeah. <laughs> What what about Roy Hodgson? The guy is older than time itself. He started saying some weird stuff. Like he might not get fired, but he might not be in the job for another reason. What if what if they not let sacked? Him around any emojis? I'll just say that that guy has a real he's cannon talking, of meatballs. He's there. talking shit about the 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 youth players. Like that's all they've got. That's their thing. And he's just like rambling like Joe Biden about these youth players. <laughs> I don't know. What, like, what did he say about the youth play? He was just saying they weren't good crazy. enough. Or... Let me let me pull it up. He, he you can't said, you um, can't win anything with kids. No, he said they um, the young players come on and you expect them to do something and they offered absolutely nothing. It just like tore him apart. I think he's apologized wow. since. Yeah, he um, said it was wrong of me to try to put all that pressure on them. They're kid players. Yeah, he said maybe the young substitutions who we like to think can believe in us and help us to a different level didn't show that. They didn't show anything for us at all, really. We became much weaker when I made the substitutions. He's like the most experienced in the game, and he's just tearing apart fragile young players. Guys losing What Does it count if I don't think he'll be sacked because I think he will die? (laughs) That's the point I was trying to make. Oh, okay. All right. Well, we're we're from America. You got to just say it, man. You got to say it. Is he going to die? He just used an irony on us again. Oh, how how dare you? Your book learning, bring bring an actual journalism onto our podcast, reading quotes and such. I was trying to be delicate, but yeah, I think he might not exist soon. So it'll be we- weekend at boys, <laughs> where it's just like the weekend the team boys. the team is like propping him up on the bench. And he's like trying to hold up a clipboard, but it keeps falling out of his hands. And they actually play better as well. <laughs> <laughs> They're yeah, in the yeah. Europa League spots. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. 
<laughs> UEFA rules say that you have to have a manager, and every manager is <sighs> shit. You're gonna have to choose a manager that makes your team shittier than this. You hear like Please, clips like just play with the dead body. <laughs> Arsenal have buried Palace this weekend, and you see Roy just go, nobody buries Roy. <laughs> it, it's been an interesting season for manager injuries, though, right? Like Pep back surgery, the Leon guy has his face ruined this week. Hodgson's going senile. You see what happened to the Leon guy. Um, Marseille fans threw something at him and like cut his whole face up, covered in blood. I did see that? Wow. He wasn't the head coach, was he, or was he manager? Yeah. Wow. I didn't realize that. I thought he was just some guy. Is this how we started the podcast with James being, what's the word for realizing you're dying? (laughs) (laughs) And here we are. We we finished with like Diane Feinstein and like. (laughs) And Mitch McConnell. Is the Diane Feinstein of, of managers. Like ultimately, pretty impressive career when you look back at it. But in recent memory, Jesus Christ. They've both been living inside of palaces for for a time. Uh, I th- similar. I do think we've got to uh, end end our podcast soon. So before I hit the music, uh, just wanted to say, James, truly appreciate you. You are a hero amongst men. Indeed. Well, thank you for having me. The first ever time I participated in a podcast it was very fun. So thank you. I think Glad like you make it. You and Neil could do your own rival, better competing podcast and run us right out of the market. You both have better audio than Skylar. We can. can. <laughs> All right. So uh, my friend Amy's boyfriend, Darren, has ju- suggested that maybe he's going to come help me fix the audio engineering for Hell this yeah. room as like a Hell birthday yeah. gift to Rue. So. Hell yeah. You might have to hear my shit opinions crystal clear pretty soon. <laughs> no, they're piercing my eardrums. <laughs> Once I could make out the words he was saying, I just stopped listening. Um, But thank you, James, and thank you, Jeff. Jeff, you are the wind beneath my wings. No, thanks, bud. Anytime. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks, James. Meet the suckers. Meet the suckers.